0: Welcome to Feel More, Buy More, the marketing and advertising podcast from System One that puts its data where its mouth is. Today we're putting the spotlight on our divided brain as we discuss
1: Lemon, the landmark new book from the IPA written by System One's Chief Innovation Officer Orlando Wood. In this episode we have Orlando talking with Tom Ewing, our Head of Marketing, about the science behind the book, his inspiration and what exactly masters can learn from it.
0: When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. But life has not given us lemons. Life has given us a book called Lemon. It's it's a, a book that's been written by Lando. It's been published on um, by the IPA on the 15th of October. And it is, I think, one of the most... I uh, Well, you might say, I would say that. But I think it's one of the most interesting books on advertising I've ever read. Um, Now, I happen to work with Orlando. In fact, he is my line manager, so I have a vested interest in thinking it's one of the most interesting books I've ever read. But I am not alone, because people from Peter Field to Rory Sutherland to Sarah Carter and many more have also been raving about the book. And the book, according to Karen Fraser, director of Credos, goes from the Romans to Brian Eno and all points in between. So that seems to me to be a decent place to start. Back with the Romans, Orlando. What what did the Romans ever done for advertising?
1: Well, it's a very good uh, and perhaps an uh, well an intriguing place to start, Tom. But I know that you studied ancient history, so I did, yes. uh, that perhaps right up your street. Um, what's what's the book all about, and what and and what have, what have the Romans got to do with it? Well, the book is all about two two modes of thought, really, two ways of attending to the world, and. It's a warning, really, about what happens when one of those modes of thought becomes a little bit too dominant. And that is happening uh, across society, in business, uh, and its effects are being seen in culture and in advertising. And that's what the book is about, uh, a new uh, type of uh, thinking, a mode of thinking that, that likes to... Break things up into smaller parts. That likes to categorize things. That is very goal orientated and very literal. And the effects are being seen in in culture. And what uh, the Romans have to do with it uh, is um, well, one of the things I talk about in the book is that in the late Roman uh, Empire, so in the third century AD. Uh, a bad time. A bad time. A bad time for, a the, bad empire. Time for the empire. It was being, um, uh, you know, attacked from every angle. Um, what happened was that Emperor Diocletian came to power, and Emperor Diocletian was uh, uh, had a certain he, he way was a of bit thinking. Of a stickler. He was. He was. He. What he did was he systematised society. Really. Right. Um, he created. A symmetrical power structure with an emperor of the East, an emperor in the West, and a Caesar by each of their sides. And he introduced standardization, bit of centralization. Yeah, very much so. Um, in fact, much like the holding companies, advertising holding companies of oh, right, today, okay. he centralized and standardized things. And I suppose it was an early form of globalization. Um, because, you know, the, the various provinces uh, ceased to, to have any meaning, you know. Right, right. Um, and, and Italy lost its, you know, preeminence, I suppose. And what you find in this period is that is this, this sort of fixity, fixing people in their roles um, and this regimentation of... of um, of, of society what was an organic sort of society free-flowing society became very regimented and he
0: um, he, he introduced
1: the uh, uh, one of the, the the earliest rate cards in history <laughs> he did. as well he did so he fixed prices right uh, he fixed prices and you were on pain everything of, on everything and you uh, you know on pain of death if you if you did not sell uh, according to the rate card uh, then uh, you, you know you would be, you'd be executed and he fixed and it meant that, that people started closing down their businesses because they just couldn't couldn't work under these conditions and uh, then he introduced a new law to say that every son had to follow in their father's professional footsteps so everyone was fixed in their roles and what you see in this period of standardization and global sort of globalization <laughs> and early sort of globalization centralization is that uh, it, it leaves its effect on culture in in everything. In tr- its traces across artwork, across sculpture, and within a period of you know just a few generations, really, you see you see faces in busts go from uh, you know naturalistic expressions of movement and and uh, and life to ones that are devitalized uh, and more symmetrical. Uh, and that look more like death masks actually, and then you also see patterns and shapes. You know the way that nature is depicted uh, on friezes uh, goes to a very sim- lots of symbols and 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 sort of uh, and symmetrical depiction of nature, and you see much like today actually an emphasis in architecture on broad, wide spaces, large, plain walls, and and the introduction of light into the interiors of of houses and and so on. And you see flattening in uh, the depiction of um, artwork on, you know, so artwork on the walls that adorned uh, Roman villas, you know, once had depth and perspective. We forget that the Romans, you know, had a very good mastery of perspective. But actually in this period, everything flattens. And it stays flat in art until the Renaissance. Um, So what happens is you get this flattening and abstraction and devitalization in art and culture, and it's something that has been seen, I go through the book, I show it at various periods in history, but it's something that we're seeing today, and it's something that we're seeing in advertising today, um, which is becoming, as I show in the book, increasingly flat and abstract and devitalized. So that's, that's, the, that's the connection then, the, the, Absolutely. This, this cycling between one mode of thinking and the other. What's the other mode of thinking then? Well, the other mode of thinking uh, is one that really understands and sees the world as it really is, as a set of connections, as a set of relationships between people and things, um, as one that, 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 un- that empathises, that isn't so interested in tools and things, but more people and that understands the importance of betweenness, you know, between people, the, the sort of energy that's between people, um, and one that, that understands time and place uh, that can sort of see a... Uh, has a sense of flow, that understands lived time, um, and one that, that um, also appreciates, because it can understand depth and time and perspective, um, it, it understands uh, in humour... And metaphor and contradiction, anything to do with contradiction, it enjoys, it loves ambiguity. Right, right. Um, and so it 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 enables. And, and of course, you can see how that that might play out in advertising. Yeah, these all
0: sound like good things in advertising. Yeah. you know, bit of bit of humanness, bit of
1: betweenness, metaphor, um, humor, all of those things. A sense of awe as well. You know, it requires it is this other mode of thinking. And and I suppose that that the, these two modes of thinking, um, really, you know, we have. Ian McGilchrist to thank. So Ian McGilchrist is, um, you know, a, a psychiatrist but a neuropsychologist really, who uh, has done huge amounts of work uh, to understand the difference between uh, the two hemispheres of the brain. So this is the left and the right brain, and you might be thinking, oh, the left and the right brain.
0: Um, well, that was all, you know. That was all debunked years ago that's all it's sort of it's sort of like it's it's become this kind of pop science 101 part of um, i'm afraid it has
1: yeah. uh, uh, which 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 is um a real shame because actually it it set back um advances in this area in you know in serious study of, of the of the two hemispheres Because no one, no self-respecting psychologist, or wanted to wanted to. It's it's almost as if the urge to kind
0: of simplify and classify and such like, um, you know, that that one mode of
1: thinking had actually kind of banjaxed the uh, the entire field. Yeah, it did, and and uh, but thankfully, um, Ian McGilchrist, whose whose background actually is, uh, is not, you know, um, I mean, he started off as. Teaching, teaching as a lecturer in, at Oxford, and you know English literature, and it, and he he d- he felt that you know the thing we've become too abstract in our appreciation of, of art and culture. I really wanted to understand how the brain actually worked and how it attended to the world, and he found uh, through a long study uh, of you know split brain patients and uh, others. Uh, who had uh, you know, lesions in, in, in one half of the brain or the other, he found that that, that w- the left hemisphere uh, in both both humans and other mammals and and indeed in birds, you know is attends to the world very differently from the right hemisphere. It's not that the two brains do different things as we'd often thought. It's more that they do things differently, that they have different takes on the world. and attention, is kind of a two-way street. It, it it not only does it you know does it does it help to understand help us to know what to pay attention to, but it also uh, sort of anything we do then affects the world you know the other way. So if we if we're into classifying and and, and, and so on and, and categorizing and all of those things that the left brain loves, then you know we um, we miss. Uh, we miss a great deal of of what's going on in the world, and only see a part of it. And so, to go back to our to our Romans,
0: the kind of pre Diocletian stuff you're talking about, the stuff with, with kind of much more perspective, um, and and sort of you know more more vital and more lived that kind of Roman art, and that sort of you know also Renaissance art we see with lots of betweenness, yeah. lots of looks. That's that's the the way that sort of you know that that kind of appeals. Is appeals the right word? Yes, that yeah. will
1: that that will uh, absolutely that it's, will prick the the st- the right brain's attention. Stimulate stimulate the right brain. The right brain. So um, so um, so what he says, you know, in, in, is that uh, take birds for example. Yeah. So 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 uh, birds study of birds and the left brain, you know, looks after the right hand side of the body and the right eye and the right brain, the left eye and the left part of the body. Uh, what, he, what, he showed, what he's shown and others have shown, um, he highlights, is that the left brain uh, it controls the, the bird's urge to sort of uh, find the grain on the ground, abstract it from its context, and then uh, identify, classify it and categorize it so it knows that this is a thing that it can eat. Whereas So it's very focused and very narrow in its attentional field, whereas the right brain is broad and vigilant. So it looks around uh, the bird, you know, all It'd the time. Be, uh, it might be some other bird exactly. coming in could, to, uh, exactly. to, to nick the grain. Exactly. Or it could become someone else's lunch, you know. Yeah. So uh, the, the right brain is broad and vigilant. And this was the sort of um, thing that, McGil- that hit McGilchrist, that actually there's probably some kind of evolutionary or, or, you know, there's a kind of reason perhaps why we have these two different ways Ways of thinking, um, and and so this, when you you know, and you see it in humans too, um, this helps to explain these two sort of slightly competing, incompatible but complementary ways of thinking: uh, abstraction, narrowness, uh, linear, uh, sort of cause and effect way of thinking. Which, uh, all these, these are all left brain things. Um, this desire to um, uh, break things up into smaller parts, uh, abstraction, and uh, rhythm, because uh, you know, the, the, that's all—that's all of music, really, that the left brain can deal with. Uh, all of these things, which are actually becoming. Huge part, you know, the, feature, the dominant features of advertising, um, and then there's the right brain, which you know understands people, connections, empathy, depth, perspective, and so on. And and these things are disappearing from advertising, and these are the things that make uh, advertising memorable and noticeable. Um, and you know, there's the reason or part of the reason why effectiveness is falling. So that's that's the that's the the hypothesis then of the book that it's
0: this this split this kind of split in the brain this different these different ways of paying attention to the world um advertising has moved over to the kind of left to the left brain and this is causing a a decline in effectiveness and we'll get on to to the sort of evidence um for that um in a in a bit but it's not just advertising is it because you actually go you know the, the the book lemon actually goes quite a lot wider
1: it does. Just it does. I mean, it sets it in the cu- in the cultural context of now. You know, uh, it, we look at uh, the the change in television programming in yeah. the period. So uh, over the last, you know, 20 th- years or so, we have seen quite considerable changes in what people are watching and what people are are making <laughs> um so that you know i look at comedy for instance and uh comedy programs the proportion of comedy programs that are sitcoms or sketch shows things that celebrate betweenness and context and the understanding of those contexts very right brain things um have have disappeared uh, or are disappearing i should say and then if you look uh, at um what types of comedy are being made on television, you see that it's it's really programs about comedy, uh, that you see uh, sort of documentaries or, or sort of factual... Uh, programs like QI that sort of counters, right, right. counters, the, you know, comedy stuff, stuff being done in a funny exactly. way. But there's a
0: huge hunger for it, isn't there? Because there's, um, if you look at, you know, Netflix. One of the most surprising things about Netflix, of course, is that um, as Ofcom pointed out in its report last year, and then again this year, the most popular program on Netflix, easily for two years running, has been Friends. Yeah. And you know, there is this whole kind of loads of think pieces about, oh, why are millennials so into Friends? Why are Gen Z, you know, they're not. Because watching, it's not because
1: friends. because the right brain is not being serviced by anywhere else. You know, um, there's we're not seeing that. It's as if we've lost two or three taste buds. You know, um, the, the betweenness, um, comedy of character, uh, you know, dialogue, all of these things. I mean, are, yeah,
0: it's like well, like I mean, you know, Fleabag has won every award going, and that's a very very character based modern comedy. But it's also the kind of thing like it actually had to be started with a Kickstarter. Um, the the Phoebe Waller Bridge had to, in order to get it, you know, get the get the stage play made in the first place. So there was so little kind of you know demand out there for just sort of yeah. character based comedy rather and, than and, stand and course, up. And of course, she had to go and go online and
1: kind of ask for money. Yeah, and and of course part of it is that these things do cost <laughs> money to make. Yeah. You know, it's much it's much easier to have a panel show or a or a celebrity chat show. Um, uh, easier to make than it is to create something with sets, costumes, and so on, and that's part of the reason. You know, I think also in advertising, these things cost money to make. Um, uh, but I mean, there's also a there's also a public demand
0: for a lot of the left brain stuff. I mean, let's not let's not you know be in denial that mm. that the because you talk a bit about cinema in yep. the book and the fact that so many of the 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 biggest grossing films of like ever. Yes. Are these sequels. Yes, um, that's right. That's and, right. You know, and we're seeing, like, uh, I, uh, there's something in your book, It's it's gone from being sort of, you know, 20 years ago, maybe sort of one out of the top ten
1: films of the year might be a sequel. Yes, and now it's, it's, like it's like two to over five, I think it goes to, yeah, yeah. out of ten, you know, is a, is a sequel or part of a franchise. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's right. I mean, there's this, this the left brain loves repetition. And uh, it doesn't really like risk very much. It likes things that are familiar, and and it's very quick. It likes things to be quick and easy. You know, it's it sort of it doesn't like to think too hard about stuff. So it, so it's um what you find is that uh you, you know you get this, this this in television as well. You get more. We're getting more and more repetitive formats, and we're getting formats as well that are based on competition or power or um, making things. Um, all of which are sort of the left brain's, you know, preferences, really. Um, So, you know, television programs are set in factories. You've probably seen some yourself. Um, You know, programs that are about beating other people, Making making stuff, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, all the, all this stuff is, is very much today, um, and has a, has appeared. So, so dear old Bake Off, the yeah, Great British Bake Off is in fact. Well, uh, I think it uh, has a bit of both, doesn't it? Because there's yeah. obviously there's obviously betweenness uh, in the characters and the the way that they play off each other. Um, so I think that's. So so a lot of, of a lot of the,
0: a lot of kind of successful culture. I mean, this is this is one of the things that the book is sort of calling for. That actually, you know, you're not saying well, left brain is bad, right brain is good. You're saying no. That actually, there needs to be a balance.
1: Yes, both are both are needed for, for for creative leaps, for great creative leaps. Um, the problem is, we've just switched off one of them, and and the world around us is becoming increasingly, is looking increasingly like the construct of the left brain uh, in in culture and in advertising, and and just the physical world around us too. We're, we're recording this podcast
0: in the very, very, very flat meeting room. There's no. Uh, There's no art (laughs) on the walls, no perspective here, nothing to uh, really kind of engage the eye. Uh, There's a bit of betweenness because James has placed the mics opposite one another. Yes, Um, yes, absolutely. But that really is it. Um, Yeah, so I I think, and and like in terms of advertising, what this has resulted in is some pretty, frankly, quite weird advertising. Advertising that if you were to show someone from 20 years ago, you know, some of the ads that are being made today, they would just seem, very bizarrely kind of hyperactive yeah. and, and and a bit dystopian as chaotic. well
1: actually um, you know sort of very self-conscious you know the, the right brain's sort of self-aware and knows where it is in the world and its place in the world but the left brain is like a bit like a hall of mirrors that it gets stuck in and it can't really see anything other than what the right brain presents to it. And, and, then, and then it will say yes or no, and, and largely no. Um, so, so it builds models of the world and, and its own little sort of sense of what the world is about, which tends to lack empathy and, and understanding. So what you, what you see is advertising today, uh, not just advertising, but other, other cultural sort of forms, um, advertising that's very self-conscious uh, that is overly reliant on the word. Language resides in the left in the left brain largely.
0: So, so what you what you mean there are things like voiceover, but also text over. The the practice Texa, of kind of just yes. you know shoving text Quite. up on the
1: screen. Te- I mean literally words obtruding yeah. to use a strange word, but obtruding on the on the on the ad itself, um, and and you also see uh, you know abstraction. So you only see bits of the body. So you'll t- you'll see. A bit a hand or a pair of li- or some lips right, without seeing right. the full face. Um, you'll see bits of bits of the body without seeing the whole. Um, you will see, uh, you know, uh, a lot of ads, you know, are all about unilateral messaging, me at you, yeah. rather than showing people together in conversation or dialogue. Uh, and you'll see, see lots of ads where... Uh, you know, sort of see there are lots of individual scenes rather than one scene unfolding so in very, real time. So very rapid editing, of rapid cuts, editing yeah. of cuts, uh, and and that could almost be presented to you in any order, and and it's almost as if the visuals really are only there to support what the words are saying. Uh, you know, the, the thing could exist with just the words and the visuals. You know, there's not really a sort of. Tire. I mean, we're talking here about about video ads, obviously. Video mm-hmm. ads, yeah. <coughs> um, but actually, you see it in. You know, I've been looking yeah, at looking at print ads, print ads on on and ads on the tube. You know, just strange uh, abstraction or bits of you know body parts. Um, you know, as one reason recently, recently uh, with was using using sort of mechanized false teeth, you know, which I saw. Um, but there are, once you've seen this, it's difficult to unsee it. I have to say. Yeah, it's a kind of. I mean, this is the thing that Lemon
0: Lemon as a book will genuinely change the way. It, you you it, look at advertising I because have, you'll constantly it, be spotting, it, um, you know, the sort of, and you'll think, gosh, that's very left brained Oh yes,
1: that's. It's more very kind of you to say so, Tom. But I have to say, you know, it's it. Uh, having read McGilchrist's book and talked to Ian, um, it really does change your perception of the world, of people, uh, of history, uh, of art and culture, and it it just helps to explain so many things that I've often found, you know. A bit odd. Why? Why is it like that? You know, you sort of it explains a great deal. I
0: mean, I guess one of the things that you would say about this kind of shift in advertising. I think probably what we what we should what we should maybe do is play um, a couple of these of these right-brained ads. But the problem of left-brained ads, rather. But the problem with playing left-brained ads is that because they're so verbally dependent, it's really difficult to do on a uh on a podcast it's not like one of these you know often when we we play these ads and we're able to describe what's going on with them um you can you can sort of you know there's a story to follow but with a lot of left-brain advertising there isn't really even no (coughs) any kind of story it's just this kind of completely disassociated you know sort of just this kind of like flickering of as you say images that could be shuffled up but i think one of the one of the questions i guess is um to what extent this is a, a you know technologically determined because obviously what we're dealing with, like, what, what advertisers working in video are dealing with now is they're having to deal with a lot of media where they can't guarantee that they'll be sound on. So that might be one reason why you might want to use more words on, you know, on the screen themselves. Um, you can't guarantee attention. Um, there's a kind of, you know, a sense that like, oh, do we need to make it? sort of you know very very fast very quick in order to kind of capture attention on these platforms on things like instagram or or facebook um so is there a kind of technological determinism Uh, coming in there
1: we've got the perfect storm really of a lot of things Uh, and 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 certainly digitization is is a big part of this and uh you know what as i say in the book You know, if if you think about attention, I mean, psychologists talk broadly about five types of attention. Um, Only one of these is is dealt with by the left brain, and that's very focused attention. All the other types of attention um, are (laughs) principally to do with the right hemisphere. And so, what you need to do is to have an understanding of the right hemisphere and what what sort of things get noticed. Because in, in everything other than, you know, SEO, um, we're talking about right brain attention here. Right, right. So, so right brain attention, you know, is all about people, characters, characters. Um, betweenness uh, you know uh, I mean I've talked we, we talked before about fluent devices and characters in advertising that are yeah, yeah. that are, that you know and, and the fluent devices give you the opportunity to create a scenario a real world sort of scenario uh, perhaps a bit sort of mixed up but that, that has betweenness and um, as a scene unfolding you know so so you know when one of the dangers i think today is that you're, uh, people are increasingly creating for mobile or or you know the digital channels first and then putting that on TV right and and that, and that really won't work you know because uh and often you know a lot of the guidelines that are given for the, for these digital platforms, you know, are literally prescribing left brain work, you know, it needs to be abstracted, it needs to be highly rhythmic, you know, try breaking things up into different scenes, you know, on, on, on one page, you know, um, uh, all of these sort of prescriptions are for the left brain, are for actually f- are for focused attention, which, um, which, which people rarely, rarely have, <laughs> rarely want to, to bring to bear on, on their Facebook page. So there, there is still, there are, there are ways
0: that, that that kind of, you know, advertisers in any medium can use more right brain that can help rebalance. And uh, you'll have to obviously, you know, read the book to, to, to learn more about the kind of things that that they are. But we, you know, a big chunk of the book is looking at the evidence that that a kind of shift, you know, a rebalancing, a shift away from this left brain dominance in advertising would have a, a genuinely beneficial Economic effect, yes. uh, effect on on brand growth, and effect on effectiveness. Yes, yes. And it, um, it, it uh, maybe you could talk us through the sort of you know some just the the, the methods that we mm. used for um, for,
1: fu- that. for finding yeah, that, yeah, for finding that yes. stuff out. So what what we did was I constructed um, first of all I, I constructed a list really of. of Perhaps a bit left brain of me, but a list of features that you might expect left-brained advertising to to have—you know, things like abstraction, um, or unilateral voiceover, or words on the screen, um, uh, that that kind of Uh, thing—and then right a list of right-brain features, so dialogue, uh, sense of. you know, implicit communication, by which I mean, you know, glances or uh, or even flirtation, maybe you know that sort of thing. Um, uh, accents, a sense of place, a clear sense of you know a sense of a scene unfolding, um, a sense of uh, a, a, a discernible kind sort of music music track. It uh, will be another thing. Um, So all of these sort of right-brain features and and the left-brain features, what we did was create a sort of kind of way of of determining how many of these features does does an ad have. And we looked back at and reconstructed, actually, ad breaks from uh, Britain's longest-running soap opera, Coronation Street, going back um, to the early 90s. And we looked at, you know, as best we could... One the same week in every year uh, and the ad breaks from, from Coronation Street. And what we found was that you know, across these 700 or so ads that there was a marked shift in advertising style in 2006. And that actually, you know, so what happens is you've got fairly good balance between the right and left brain features in advertising up to that point, perhaps slightly more right brain features but in 2006 there's this sort of separating of the two of the two lines and you'll you'll see it in the book but that the the left brain becomes very dominant left we can we can can pin
0: down this kind of you know modern modern era in advertising down to a single year
1: yeah well it's not it's not as strange as you might seem because um you know you can you can we can determine quite precisely the year that depth appeared in art in the renaissance and it was 1425 uh, with um you know ghiberti's doors on on the on the san lorenzo chapel in florence you know so uh, there was an introduction of depth at this at this time uh, and we see flatness starting to appear in in, in advertising and in, you know, in that year and it, what's interesting about that year i mean a couple of things one is it, it's before the the global downturn. So this this was already sort of happening. Yeah. Often often this this change in you know budgets or, or advertising styles could be laid at the door of, of the downturn. And but um, it's happening before that. And also of course it coincides with what Peter Field has shown, Peter and Les in their work, in that that's the sort of year essentially that you start to see you know depression and then and then re- decline. In advertising effectiveness from the IPA um, the IPA papers, so you know there's something clearly happening in the early part of you know the 21st century uh, that has led to this, and I unpack some of the possible reasons in the book. It's it's fascinating that you, we can sort of pin it down so closely.
0: Um, I'm just going to interrupt, uh, say so that now since you mentioned Peter Field, I'm just going to read out what Peter Field thinks of the book. Uh, just when you were starting to think. The books on advertising effectiveness are all rather similar. Along comes Orlando's book. The book is itself a perfect illustration of the virtues it extols. Entertaining, unpredictable, deep, broad-ranging, and beautifully crafted. A book you will want to read. So there we are. That's Peter Field. Very kind of him. So... We've actually got. It's it's not just kind of inferences from the work of Peter and such like though. There's actually you know original data in in Lemon which backs up
1: yep. um, what we're
0: saying. which yep. Comes
1: from our database, well, system one. It does. It does. In so so you're right. <coughs> so you know these changes, it, these switch this switch towards left brain advertising. Um, you know if this were just a matter of taste, it, it you know it it yeah. wouldn't matter. You know, if this were just, you know, that we've gone a a bit sort of uh, abstract in our art, you know, well, who's to say what's right or wrong in matters of taste? But what we've done using our own, you know, emotional testing data from from System 1 ad ratings is we've overlaid these, you know, this analysis, if you like, on top of our emotional response scores. And what you find is that ads that have more of these left-brain features are much less likely to score well emotionally with people that they will they'll perform badly in fact and ads that have uh, these the this sense of betweenness characters all these lovely right brain features um, generate emotional response and so in this you know in this period what we can therefore sort of infer is that is that emotional response to advertising has declined uh, at the same time, which of course helps to explain why advertising effectiveness has dropped.
0: We we know from well from our own validations and from Les and Peter's work that emotional uh, response to ads is a, an absolutely key predictor yep. of. And we talk about it and talk about in the book and show and
1: actually provides you know quite a lot of evidence to show yeah, this across multiple categories that you know you can use emotional response to correct um just pu- just spend essentially to give you a much better prediction of market share growth yeah
0: yeah so that i mean that i think that's a really really crucial point and and very worth stressing that it's not just about sort of is this you know do we do we like this advertising is it is it sort of you know is it something that um that that we as you know as creatives or whatever Like prefer or don't prefer or or what have you there are some kind of areas of culture where like you know the example of cinema yes there's there's an awful lot of kind of franchise and sequels out there appealing to the left brain but they're also absolutely raking in money they're certainly you know they're performing incredibly successfully so i think there's a kind of case to be made that like you know is this harmful well you certainly might kind of think it is from a creative perspective or from a taste perspective, but it doesn't seem to be doing much economic damage. But in advertising, that really isn't the case. In advertising, in order to be effective, you have to have more right-brained... That's alerts. right. And,
1: I, and a, key, a key sort of refrain, I suppose, in the book is that you have to entertain for commercial gain. You know, that, yeah. is, that is absolutely central um, and something that I think people have lost sight of it's 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 really important
0: i mean something that is really interesting to me about it is that a lot of the a lot of the discussion around effectiveness is from a sort of planner's eye view, almost. It's all very much about, you know, well, was the media plan right? Is this sort of, is it too short-termist? Is it too the long-termist? Brief. Is the brief correct? Is the idea, what's the insight? What's the kind of, you know, what's the strategy? And I think something that Lemon does, that, that a, a lot of, um, I, I can't think of an advertising book in the last few years that's done it, is actually look very carefully and closely at kind of what's actually happening in the in yeah. the stuff that people are, that's are right. seeing or hearing, that's or, right. Yeah. And
1: I think and I think it's you know it's another feature of our times, you know, because there's a I talk about this, you know, when I talk about the Reformation in the book, uh, very similar to the period we're living in now—a stripping back of things, a search for authenticity, you know, the removal of of characters and and spirituality in a sense from from the church, and an emphasis on words. Um, there's there's a lovely quote uh, in the book uh, from from a chap um, Joseph Kerner who talks about the the Reformation period and the art in the period, and he says that you know in this period ideas about the thing become more important than the thing itself, and there's been a reluctance I think to talk about the thing itself in advertising, uh, you know over however many years. But actually that's the thing that this book is all about and that this book seeks to address because you know, if advertising itself fails to work, then the whole advertising ecosystem yeah. starts to fall apart. Yeah, it, it, you know. it runs to seed, as I say, in the book. And that and so we have to address it and we have to talk about it. And this is the best way I could possibly think of to you know, and the most useful way um, to add to that, to, to, to build on that. So, okay,
0: what effects do you want the book to have? What you know, who are the people who should be reading this book, and what should they do once they've read
1: it? Well, I think actually, you know, it should be on it. I, I would say this, but. Um, I think I think there's something in it for quite a lot of people. It's actually. a real stocking stuff. Uh, really, uh, Christmas is coming up, as we all know. Uh, so uh, no, but uh, I mean genuinely. I mean Rory said something very nice about the book. You know that it w- it wasn't just. It's not not. It has implications beyond uh, advertising and. research. I'll, I'll just
0: read what Rory. Oh, yeah, we'll uh, Rory do. Sutherland. This is the vice chairman of Ogilvy, um, and uh, a very famous gentleman in the advertising scene. Any book which finds evidence anywhere from Hans Holbein to the Honey Monster is good by me. But this is an extraordinary and wonderful book with implications that go far beyond advertising
1: and research. Well, that, yes, and, and again, very kind of him. Yes. But, um, it, it is, it, you know, I'd love, I'd love people in advertising to read it. I'd love uh, anyone that, that advertising touches uh, to, to read it. Uh, I, I'd, I think it has relevance for those who, who commission the work, make the work, um, carry the work as well you know yeah media owners. media media owners uh, because it is is you know it, it's it helps to explain i think some of the problems that the industry is facing and and i hope you know points towards you know a, some kind of cure and uh, but i think actually you know it, it, it would be of interest certainly you know chapters two and three and uh, certainly and maybe maybe five um, you know, would be of interest to people more broadly too, because I think there is the people when you talk to anyone in the street about advertising, and I often often do you know talk to people and tell them i work in advertising and the sort of thing I do, and they say, well, advertising, yeah, it's 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 rubbish, it's rubbish, uh, it's not it's not like it used to be, you know, and and the book, you know, that could we could just say, oh, well, that's nostalgia. The left brain tends to dis- dismiss things talk like that as nostalgia. Um, the right brain is a bit more nostalgic, but what you but what the book shows is you know through through you know very objective research is that this is true that this has happened uh, and advertising isn't as entertaining as it used to be and is less likely to work as a result.
0: Um, and then one final question, which I know there's a story
1: behind. Ah. Why is it called lemon? Why is it called lemon? Well, I was I was um, I was looking for a name, looking for a uh, you know a, a, a memorable name. I hope uh, for the book, and I had a chat with Adrian Holmes and his creative partner uh, John O'Driscoll, uh, and um, what I, t- I was telling them about the book and talked talked them through what was in the book. And I said, Adrian, what do you what do you think about what do you think about a name? Now, Adrian is a very famous uh, creative director. He was, you know, president of the DNA D Awards. You know, he was uh, creative director worldwide for Lowe, um, and he and of course he he created the water in Majorca ad for Heineken that that actually features in the book. I do talk about it. And so I, I was talking to Adrian about it, and um, I said, Adrian, any any ideas? Any ideas on a on a name for the book? And uh, all credit to him, you know, he thought and mulled on it for a little bit, and it was wonderful to to see him and watch him sort of thinking about it. And then he said, uh, "Well, you know, brain looks a bit like a lemon, and you know." And then how the advertising brain went sour. And then a few minutes later, he thought about it a bit more. Said no, not went sour. How it turned sour. Words, are extremely important, and uh, and Adrian is is brilliant at them. So that's the subtitle of the book: how the how the advertising brain turns sour. But but what he had in his mind was, and this is one of the themes of the book, is referencing of a. The one of the, you know, the very famous ads uh, for, that DDB made in the early nineteen sixties and nineteen sixty, uh, the book that you know the the, the one that the ad that features the VW Beetle, um, and it says lemon underneath, and it talks about how this particular model of VW Beetle missed the boat, you know, i.e., it wasn't good enough, it didn't pass their inspection, uh, vig- rigorous inspection, yeah. um, and. So, what we did is we, we, we created something that was really in homage to that, that ad. Yeah. Um, and you know one of the features, one of the things that I say in the book is that advertising's lost its ability to parody or pastiche or reference other things. So, the cover itself is referencing of other things. And John O'Driscoll, of course, worked uh, in the 1970s and 80s on the UK VW campaigns, he was the art director. And so, between them, uh, Adrian and John and me, you know, uh, we created this front cover. Uh, and it's, it's hopefully people will recognize it. If they don't, I think it still works as, <laughs> as a front cover. Uh, it is really an ad for the book um, uh, and looks perhaps a little bit different from, from yes. your standard, standard book. Excellent. Well, so
0: that's all we have time for. Um, we will, in fact, be back. When the book is launched, a sequel to this podcast, which we'll go through in, in some, of the, some of the specific stuff in a bit more detail that's in Lemon, but it's out on October the 15th. It's being launched at the IPA's F-Week event, always one of the highlights of the marketing and effectiveness calendar, um, at which an awful lot of new research is going to be presented, we are promised, and a, a number of um, kind of well-known figures from both advertising and outside advertising uh, will be coming. I believe that uh, Mark Hermode, the film critic, um, will be turning up, and he certainly has some strong views on blockbuster era film entertainment. Which, so, which chimes, I think, pretty uh, pretty closely with some of the stuff that's being said in Lemon. Um, so that's uh, that's F Week on the fifteenth. That's where the book is first. And on being the
1: eighteenth, don't forget, uh, Tom. Yes, I was just getting ah, to that. Good, good.
0: But uh, so on the fifteenth, if you come to the F Week conference, you will get a free copy, a complimentary copy of Lemon. Um, otherwise, it will be available from the IPA. Um, and if you're a System 1 client, uh, there may be other other ways of getting it as well. Um, but on the 18th, there's something very special indeed happening in London, um, which is a screening of, is it called The Divided Brain? The Divided Brain? Brain. The Divided Brain, which is a film about the work of Ian McGilchrist, who the uh, literature professor turned neuroscientist whose who's book The Ma- Master and His Emissary underpins so much of Orlando's work in lemon. Um and, in fact, the master and uh, the emissary, um, the master Ian McGilchrist and his emissary, Orlando Wood, <laughs> will be in conversation following um, this screening.
1: And yes,
0: That yes. is at the Curzon, the in, Curzon Soho in Soho in Soho. London yep. on Friday the 18th. I think you have to not, pre-register. Uh, you have to be pre-register. Is it free? It is free. It is free, but, but you have, but have to pre-register. Register. Absolutely not the, to be missed. Yeah, so, um Knowledge of that is your reward for getting to the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Um, good luck with the book launch, Orlando. Thank you, Tom. And uh, yeah, I'm it's, a it's it's a it's a it's a cracking read. Uh, so do try and get your hands on a copy. Thank you very much for listening. This has been Feel More Buy More. Goodbye. Bye-bye. As always, you can find all of our content at system1group.com. Follow us on social media at System One Research. All of the links and references from this episode will be in the show notes, which also includes a free trial to our ad ratings product.